You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. The tech sector being not just one of the greatest creators of wealth, but one of the greatest creators of wealth for the 1%. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. There's already positive change that's going on uh, within organized sports. We're reducing this chance of second injuries. There is no 100% secure website. There is no 100% security for your system. This is KCBS In-Depth. We were promised a future of jetpacks and trips to the moon. Well, here we are at the start of a new decade in the 21st century, and it's fair to say it hasn't quite turned out that way. But it turns out there is one sci-fi dream that looks like it might soon become a reality. That dream? Flying cars. Or at least, things that work an awful lot like flying cars. I'm Keith Manconi. This is KCBS In-Depth, and today on the program, we're going to be talking about the emerging industry of short-distance personal flying transport, starting with the very new but very real flying shuttle services that are available right now at a helipad near you. Most people have no idea that there might be an airport actually in their neighborhood. Then a little bit later in the program, we'll discuss the emerging technologies that are driving down the cost of flight and bringing everyday commuter air travel out of the realm of science fiction and into the realm of science, hey, it could happen. We know how to do this. We know know how to build the vehicles, but to build a system in which it all works perfectly is the challenge. All that more coming up next. So there is certainly a lot of new air travel technology coming our way, but let's start with what's available in the here and now. Already a number of companies right here in the Bay Area are offering ride pooling services for airplanes and helicopter flights. Among them is a company called Voom, V-O-O-M, Voom. They're offering an app service that allows passengers to request a helicopter lift as little as an hour in advance. I want a window seat. KCBS's own Jim Taylor took a ride with a Voom copter recently, taking off from Oakland. It was slick. The ride left quite the impression on Jim. I felt like um, almost a little futuristic, like I'm doing things that a lot of people are going to be doing, you know, soon. I asked him to tell us a little bit more about the trip. He says it all started with a safety check. We have a lever right here. It'll be down when we're flying to get out. You just lift it up and slide it back. Do you have any questions? No, I don't think so. I'm ready to rock. Me too. Let's go. (laughs) The sound is pretty oppressive. You can't hear, you can't talk to the person next to you, really. You gotta wear headphones and, and a microphone, and that's how you communicate. That said, it's beautiful and a really kind of, um, I don't know, I think it'd be a great place to meditate, actually. We, we could take a nap. You can, absolutely. <laughs> I might even join you. <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're just cruising over the bay. I've never seen the Golden Gate Bridge look the way it did because we, I'm looking down on it, you know? And, and uh, so that was a trip. Also, I have to say that it's really kind of an extra special feeling to watch all those cars that are down there on the road backed up bumper to bumper and it's going to take them an hour just to get over to San Francisco and it took us you know 10 minutes so 
Right. A little bit of a high and mighty feeling. Exactly right. I mean, I'm uh, truly high above everything, and uh, my life is right now much better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Could you see that being the way you get to work every day? I would do that, man, if I could afford it or if we could talk KCBS into paying for it or something like that. Um, And we would need the company's dime to pay for it because these flights aren't cheap. The trip from San Jose to San Francisco, that'll run you $250. The one from San Jose to Napa, that's 350. Then there's another thought that occurred to Jim while he was up there. Yeah, you know, uh, we looked around when we were up in the sky, and we were the only flying vehicle in the sky over the bay at that time. And I thought, this is great, but what if there were 30 or 40 of us? And, you know, how are they going to regulate that kind of thing? Uh, I have to say, I would have some concerns that they couldn't, keep a handle on it, you know, because we didn't have to look around or anything, you know, but if if you did all the time, that would be an issue, I think. Overall, would you say that you're excited about this emerging market? Because there's a lot of companies trying to get in on this right now. Yeah, man, I, I, I think so. It's certainly a niche market, right? You got to have money or you got to be working for somebody who is. And time is more important than money. So you because you got to get to the, the airport right now. In this economy right now, that makes all kinds of sense. KCBS reporter Jim Taylor. All kinds of sense if you've got the money. But what would it take to make those flights affordable for the rest of us? And how do you address those very obvious safety concerns Jim is raising as well? Well, as big as those questions sound, there are those out there who believe we will find answers. You begin to realize that this can be real and that our principal hurdle is simply collective collaboration. That would be the voice of Dr. Brian Seeley, president of the Sustainable Aviation Foundation, a nonprofit promoting advancements in electric aviation. He says much of the technology we'll need to make this happen is already here. We know how to do this. We know, mm. we know how to build the vehicles. We know how to manage them with uh, autonomous flight, with great precision. We know how to have them avoid one another, see and avoid one another in the sky. But to build a system in which it all works perfectly is the challenge. So an awful lot of challenges there. And we're going to be spending much of this program unpacking those challenges, trying to understand them, and trying to understand how we might solve some of the problems there. But let's start with the fun part instead. The grand vision, what it would look like if cheap electric flight really became an option for our daily travel needs. I asked Dr. Seeley to paint us the picture. Cue the sci-fi music. Well, maybe the best way is to describe a user experience. If I left my house and walked a quarter mile to a nearby air park, I could board a waiting sky taxi and be airborne in less than 90 seconds. I could be strapped in and fly over the beautiful scenic countryside and be deposited at my son's house in Sunnyvale within walking distance of his house and make that trip in not two and a half hours, but instead in about 42 minutes. The typical automobile cost and bridge fare and so forth would be on the order of $15, let's say. This kind of thing and the ubiquity of these air parks so that uh, next to every Starbucks there's an air park. Uh, You can imagine how convenient this could become and the dream of eventually being able to live a a car-free existence. Uh, 
could actually become realized. With all the traffic problems of the Bay Area, that is a rosy picture indeed he's painting. But now for the reality check. For the rest of the program, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Brian Seeley, once again, president of the Sustainable Aviation Foundation. And we're going to start by asking the question, just how long is this sci-fi dream going to take? collective will to put the system in play. Mm. Uh, Dr. Seeley, I want to bounce a couple of bold claims off you to get your reaction. I spoke earlier with Rudd Davis, who runs another one of these air travel ride-hailing companies. In this case, we're talking about Blackbird. It's based in San Francisco. Uh, Rather than helicopters, Blackbird is focusing on airplane travel. Davis echoed a lot of what we've been talking about so far, saying that getting those prices lower really is the key for making the short-range flight industry work. The moment that it becomes comparable in a price perspective to driving, I think we will see a, a massive uh, shift to this being the primary mode of transport for any trip over 50 miles. So just when will that happen? Well, now for the really bold claim. I believe in the next 24 months, flying will become cheaper than driving. 24 months, as in two years from now, and he says flying will be cheaper than driving. Now again, important to highlight, he's talking about airplane travel rather than helicopter travel, which will probably take longer to work out. So we're talking about relatively long trips, not so much San Jose to San Francisco, which is what you'd be doing in helicopters, more Oakland to Sacramento. But still, two years, and if you believe Rudd Davis... Flying to Sacramento from the Bay Area will be cheaper than driving there. Uh, Dr. Seeley, that is a bold claim. Uh, Bringing you back in, is that realistic? I think it is, except that it it helps here to go a little bit into the weeds. For example, if our airplane has a high lift-to-drag ratio and it's able to make a half-hour flight of, say, 60 miles and to do so on 20 kilowatt hours, each of which costs 10 cents, that's a $2 fuel cost. And that's why I think that the gentleman is alluding to this rapid reduction in cost. It's so efficient to propel the airplane with electricity that if it has the high efficiency wing, it is going to be capable of these kinds of savings. Hmm. But it sounds like there's a whole network of things around the plane itself that need to come together to really make this feasible. That's right. And that very network will be the bigger determiner of whether we can get the cost down. The, the vehicle and the consumption of energy and the actual cost of the uh, vehicle is a small part of the whole system cost. And again, uh, when you look at the savings potentially available in terms of infrastructure costs, it becomes clear that an urban air mobility system deserves every bit as much a subsidy as would things like BART. Hmm. And uh, briefly, if you could, before we move on, just uh, explain for our listeners that have never really given this much thought before the, the difference between, you know, gas-powered flight, electric flight. Why is it that electric flight is seen as the key to all this, making it economically viable to do these uh, short flights for people? Well, there's two reasons. And one is that electric flight, of course, is potentially extremely quiet. And it's also environmentally clean. Uh, 
But the other reason is that electric motors are about 95% efficient compared to under 30% efficiency for gasoline-powered engines. This is a huge differentiator, and the coupling of that, along with the rapid advances that we're seeing in battery energy storage, such as the new breakthrough battery from IBM Labs in Almaden, these are all enablers that are coming together at the same time. All right. So uh, a lot coming online, a lot of moving parts to all this uh, to keep in mind. I'm going to turn now to another guest because there are a lot of people working very hard to make this dream of flying air mobility within cities and around cities to make this a reality. A lot of smart people working on this. We're going to meet another one of those smart people right now. That would be Karen Tung-Kate. She's the Advanced Air Mobility Deputy Project Manager for NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View. Karen Tung-Kate, thanks so much for being on KCBS In-Depth. Thanks very much for having me. So the reason uh, that we definitely wanted to have you on the program as well is because NASA Ames and uh, other research centers around the uh, country are working on what's called the Urban Air Mobility Grand Challenge. The idea here to bring together all kinds of aeronautical engineering talent, industry, researchers, government, all together in this uh, massive effort that I understand is going to take a number of years to solve some of the kinks in this technology that we've been talking about so far. So if you could introduce our listeners a little bit more thoroughly to the Urban Air Mobility Grand Challenge kicking off this year. Sure. The NASA Urban Air Mobility Grand Challenge series is designed to promote public confidence in UAM safety. Uh, So what we are doing is we're working in conjunction with the FAA to identify what is the necessary data that we're going to need to certify these new aircraft, these new technologies within the aircraft. You've heard already about the electric propulsion systems and about the increasing levels of automation. All these items have to be certified in order to inspire that public confidence in the ability for these aircraft to fly safely. And so what we're doing is trying to determine what is the data that we are going to need to collect. Uh, For example, you know, we've talked about the efficiency of the electric engines, but there's the question, how much reserve will this aircraft need to have in case it encounters some kind of off-nominal situation? Perhaps it's delayed in its landing, so it's going to take more energy for it to, um, it's going to consume more energy Um, in its flight than originally anticipated. So how do we make sure that we maintain safety by having adequate battery reserve? And then the grand challenge is going to uh, allow manufacturers and operators to demonstrate their capabilities through a progressive series of scenarios with increasing complexity. Um, So that way we can understand how they will perform under off-nominal situations. Right, because when you call it a grand challenge, there are going to be elements of challenge put in here. You're essentially inviting these companies or or, uh, other folks, researchers, to uh, help you uh, to come up with their best ideas to solve these problems, and then you're going to assess which ideas are are best. There's really a challenge element here. Yes, it is. And the idea that we have, though, is really we're trying to do this as an ecosystem. We're trying to raise the water level of knowledge on urban air mobility. So we're trying to provide a venue for different operators and regulators to interact, collaborate, um, and understand what are these key challenges to make this system commercially viable. It can help our listeners understand. I mean, I, I feel like if we were talking about this maybe just five years ago, this would all seem so far-fetched that we might have flights from one part of a city to another as conveniently and as cheaply as an Uber drive 
what made this something that NASA decided it's time to get on board with this? This isn't science fiction anymore. This is something that NASA should take seriously. Well, one, there is just this huge momentum within the aviation industry to find this type of solution. You know, as mentioned, there's a lot of um, the things that drive this industry is the congestion, the, you know, trying to improve the quality of life for people. You know, they want to find better ways to tr- for transportation. They want more efficient ways for transportation. They want to reduce, find ways to reduce emissions. And this is definitely a large area of opportunity to really mobilize on this on these new technologies. Mm. Want to bring back into the conversation, Dr. Brian Seeley, once again as the president of the Sustainable Aviation Foundation. Uh, so, Dr. Seeley. When we talk about the challenges, uh, we just heard a number of them enumerated right there. Let's dig into some of these in a little bit more depth. Uh, At the top of the program, we actually heard from my colleague Jim Taylor, who was a little bit concerned about the thought of having a whole bunch of different aircraft flying around the sky all at the same time. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a couple up there, but to have a bunch at the same time, especially if everybody's getting to work that way, that sounds very difficult to manage. Uh, Help our listeners understand a little bit more uh, what the challenges are there and how we might be able to surmount that. Well, there are challenges, but they are um, manageable, and I think we have the sufficient technology to solve them. Uh, There is, of course, in the sky multiple, multiple layers, and if you allocate for small aircraft uh, something on the order of 200 feet vertical distance for each layer, then that is a lot of freeway overpasses in the sky, so to speak, none of which you have to pay or build out of concrete. And so the capacity up there is tremendous. The capacity is also enhanced by things like platooning, a technology by which vehicles form up in formation and move as a unit. This can increase capacity. It's also improved by the thing called negligible latency. That means that the vehicle itself is so highly capable in its sense and avoid technologies that it will almost instantly make an evasive maneuver to avoid a collision or a conflict. We're talking about AI at this point? Exactly. Mm -hmm. And when the vehicles are that smart and with respect to one another are that polite, Mm. then the centralized air traffic control system has a much easier job Mm because the vehicles are taking care of themselves. In addition, it should be pointed out that every one of these vehicles is likely to have a ballistic parachute to safely lower the vehicle to the ground in the event of any real emergency. Mm. Uh, getting Carrington Kate with uh, NASA Ames Research Center back into the conversation, uh, talking about monitoring all of those various cars that are going to be flying around. Anything that you would add to that conversation in terms of what it's going to take to make that safe? Yes, and the grand challenge, one of the purposes of the grand challenge is to bring airspace management systems um, into the picture to have them working with the vehicles so they can we can understand how these systems can work together. For the grand challenge, we're building our initial infrastructure and basing it on the UTM technologies that we've developed here at NASA Ames. And UTM stands for what? Uh, UAS traffic management. So this is for under 400 feet, the small drones looking at the package delivery services in the urban in urban areas. Oh, so the the drone deliveries that's kind of a stepping stone to where we might be headed. Yeah. So what we've been able to demonstrate with the UTM system is that you can have these federated services with these these with different organizations managing their fleets but at the same time communicating with each other to ensure that the vehicles are um, separated safely. 
And so building off these technologies, we're looking to build a similar type of system for a UAM system. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, a weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today in the program, commuting to work in a flying taxi. Still seems far-fetched, but a lot of smart people are betting it's going to become commonplace sooner rather than later. We're taking a look at what it'll take to make that happen. Joining us for that discussion is Dr. Brian Seeley, president of the Sustainable Aviation Foundation, as well as Karen Tung-Kate, the Advanced Air Mobility Deputy Project Manager for NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View. Now here's the rest of the conversation. Let's address another concern, or challenge rather, that will come up as these technologies are developed. We've already touched on it a little bit, is if these are all going to be electric-powered aircraft, you need batteries that can hold a lot of juice, and those are going to be big, they're going to be heavy. How close are we to being able to build uh, helicopter batteries, for example, that uh, would really be able to keep you in the air economically for as uh, long as you want to be there, Brian Seeley? Well, that's an excellent question. The battery technology is moving ahead. In the 2011 Green Flight Challenge, we had approximately 200 watt-hours per kilogram, and already we're up approaching 400 or even 500 watt-hours per kilogram with battery energy density. So the 200-mile range that we already showed is starting to look like it could be a 400-mile range. And the weight of those batteries and and so forth is another concern. One of the things you run into in an urban setting is don't carry more battery than you need. For example, if your main trip distance is only 30 miles, then you don't need to carry enough battery for 300 miles. You're just penalizing yourself and your uh, fuel economy. So there's probably going to be a place for smaller batteries that are swapped, and they're swapped just like that on a Black & Decker drill. Hmm. And uh, in that regard, we already, again, have technologies that will make these trips possible. Wow. Is uh, is the battery issue, uh, Karen Tunkate, is that an issue that these companies uh, will be working on for the uh, Urban Air Mobility Grand Challenge? Most definitely. One of the goals of the Grand Challenge is to identify data that is really necessary for the certification of these aircraft, including, for example, how much battery reserve do you need to to have on an aircraft um, to deal with off-nominal situations. So, for example, if for some reason your vehicle is delayed getting to its location, that may require more fuel. So you have to have some level of battery reserve. And so what we are trying to do is work with the FAA and through these series of scenarios, putting these vehicles through off-nominal situations such that they can, we can understand what kind of battery reserves we would need for an aircraft like this. Hmm. So a lot of testing ahead right there. Yeah. Well, this is all uh, very encouraging so far. One, one other challenge that I want to address before we uh, maybe look to the final question, which will be, how long do we need to wait for all this? But one more uh, challenge that I, I hope we can address is the uh, challenge of noise, because that's a that's a huge issue for many folks in the Bay Area. There's a lot of folks that live close to uh, SFO that are plagued by the sound of airplanes. So if we're talking about putting a lot more vehicles in the air, we're probably talking about adding some extra noise. Uh, Brian Seeley, how do we address that concern? 
Well, the fundamentals there, of course, are that you should have a slow-turning propeller and that the large slow-turning propeller can solve this problem. In fact, uh, Kevin Brentner found that we could get as low as 26 decibels at a 100-foot sideline if we were to use this technology. And if you imagine uh, the studies that have been done, for example, in national parks, tell us that we do need to get down below 40 decibels of noise at the airport perimeter if we're going to keep people happy. And so to fulfill that need is going to require a lot of attention and effort. It's also somewhat going to dictate the vehicle design. And I think we have to respect that because you cannot make people resentful of the new air system. This should be something welcomed by communities, that communities are eager to have air parks in their uh, nearby setting um, rather than something that's resented. Hmm. Yeah, well, and that's uh, obviously something that's going to be high on the to-do list to figure out as well. So uh, I want to get closing thoughts from both of you before we round out the program. Uh, First, going to you, uh, Karen Tung-Kate, once again with uh, NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View. Uh, So we laid out a lot of different tricky problems that are going to need to be solved in the coming years. Obviously, a lot of great minds are coming together, going to work on this. What what do you think we're going to see in the coming years? How far are we going to come if you could just kind of give us a rough timeline of what you expect to see. How far should we expect to come towards us solving these problems in the next few years? Our schedule for the Grand Challenge Series is based on our industry research. And we've got um, potential manufacturers who are looking at flying aircraft within the next couple of years for in the Grand Challenge. Um, our anticipation is that by 2030, we're going to be seeing medium density, medium um, complexity, operations throughout um, major metropolitan urban areas. So a pretty uh, pretty condensed timeline. Uh, exciting time for you, I imagine? Very exciting. All right. Exciting time for uh, many of us as well. Uh, same question to you, Dr. Brian Seeley. What do you see in the coming years? I mean, is this a thing that we can hope to see in our skies within the decade, next two decades? What are we looking at here? I think the 2030, I would agree with Karen, 2030 looks like a reasonable level, but I'm imagining the hopeful outlook that our next president, like JFK, will say, before this decade is out, Hmm. we will have urban air mobility for all, and we will demonstrate it as a national priority, both for its huge impact on climate change, as well as its quality of life improvement and the obvious savings in infrastructure. So if we prioritize it as a uh, governmental project, then it will move much quicker than if it's simply left to the array of entrepreneurial startups that we're seeing now. All right. Well, a lot of work, it sounds like, uh, but luckily, a lot of smart people are doing that work right now, so uh, we're going to let them get to it and keep on working. We have been speaking today to Dr. Brian Seeley. He is the president of the Sustainable Aviation Foundation. Dr. Brian Seeley, thanks so much for joining us. It was my pleasure. We were joined as well by Karen Tonkate. She is the Advanced Air Mobility Deputy Project Manager for NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View. We're going to be hearing a lot more about the work that they're doing in the year ahead. Uh, Karen Tonkate, thank you as well. Thanks very much. And remember, you can find past editions of KCBS In-Depth online at kcbsradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Manconi. Thanks for listening.
listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.